Welcome to the Mike Davis Show. It is Monday, October the 16th. We got a great show for you. A wonderful guest, somebody who transplanted himself here into St. Augustine and made a huge impact multiple times. So uh, you guys will like this. And uh, if you could see what's on the table tonight, you'll know we're going to be having some fun talking about things that I like to talk about too. Um, Amanda's here with us. Say hello, Amanda. She's sharing videos right now. How are you guys? Yeah, so we're going to do a couple of quick ad reads for you. And then... We're going to let you have a lot of fun today on a Monday. And we have five questions, of which a grand total of two are written. So I will figure out the other three while we're going. While you guys are talking, I'll text you. Yeah, while we're texting, Amanda will give me some things. All right. Uh, Salomon Services, they're the premier place for personal training in St. Augustine. They specialize in youth and adult training classes. They have small group strength and fitness development classes. If you have been injured, they can get you back on the field or the court. You'll be in better shape and you'll be ready to compete again. They have a state-of-the-art center with both indoor and outdoor turf areas. All of their coaches are certified through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. And you can call them to make an appointment at 904-461-9945 or visit their website, solomonservices.com. Sign up today. All right, got to get my get myself situated here. Carmelo's Pizzeria. They are locally owned and operated by the Tringali family and have been voted best pizza nine years running. If you are hungry and don't know what you're having for dinner, then go buy Carmelo's Pizza. If you're feeling a little more carnivorous, head to 123 Burger House. Both of these restaurants are happy to serve you dinner, lunch. Are they open for breakfast? No. No. So lunch and dinner. You can get their uh, get their meals at dine-in, takeout, delivery. You can go through Bite Squad or Grubhub. We've got burgers. We've got pizza. We've got wings. We've got subs, salads, ice cream, all the things you could desire. Have dinner with the Tringali family at Carmelo's Pizza and 123 Burger House. We also have Brightway Insurance, the Casey Agency. They opened their doors in 2008, and they have proudly stood by their customers through hurricanes, major floods, hail, and fires. Through all these events, the agency has become a much-needed insurance resource in times of trouble and hardship. Honesty and integrity are the pillars of our core values, says owner Ashley Casey. We pride ourselves on being insurance experts while developing strategies that help our clients meet their insurance needs. We truly enjoy the relationships we have forged, and the office has a real love for St. Augustine, which inspires all of us to do our best. Brightway Insurance, the Casey Agency, for all of your insurance needs. Okay, we need producing capabilities. Bobby says we're echoing like the morning show. Again. Again. So I know that you can fix that because Amanda can fix anything. And while you're doing that, I got one more read. Land title of America, whether you realize it or not, when you refinance the sale or purchase of a home, there's a title company involved. Don't get stuck with some out-of-town title company that doesn't give a crap when you're faced with challenges. Stay local and choose Land Title of America. Just call or text Stephen Collins, 904-501-4481. He will reply back if you text him. He specializes in all types of real estate transactions. Land Title, your local title company, insuring America's land one title at a time because... They give a crap. Yes, they do give a crap. They're awesome folks. Great community. (laughs) We have Philip McDaniel. Philip McDaniel, who came to St. Augustine shortly after Pedro Menendez was here and started making bourbon. I only wish that was true. Yeah. It's not. Boy, would that have been great. You, wait, you can't. I have 30-year-old bourbon. A 30-year-old bourbon? I know. Think about it. It would be awesome. It'd be gone. It'd all be oh angel shared. Oh, my gosh. It would be unbelievably good. Um, 
you have been in St. Augustine 35 years now? Well, I don't 30? know how long. 94, so whatever. 90, yeah. About yeah, about 30 years. I'm trying to think I've got kids that old. Yeah. So, yeah, it's about 30 years. We first met when your dad was doing the work in yes. our renovation at our house. Yes, I, I, I do. I remember that. And Philip had this crazy <laughs> idea of building a kid's playground downtown. That was uh, really kind of a, a reaction. It's so funny, full circle, but we had just moved downtown and uh, there was not enough parking and the merchants on St. George Street were naturally looking for more parking. And so they were talking about literally paving the entire uh, St. What we now know as Francis Field. And um, we were pr all pretty upset about that. And we worked with the uh, city and wonderful people like you, Mike, and, and Les Thomas and Terry Droz and so many other people and we approached the city and said, hey, what What if we could build a children's park? I had just come back from Vero Beach, Florida, saw one down there that this group out of uh, Ithaca, New York, Leathers Associates had built. And we said, hey, maybe we should talk to those guys. And uh, Greg Baker was the mayor at the time, and they embraced it. And lo and behold, Project Swing was created, and that was our first uh, our first on base. We did the craziest thing, too, because uh, our budget was $150,000. Which today, if you're fundraising in St. Augustine, is a bad night. $20 million. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely unreal, the money that is generated for uh, charities now inside some of these different events and venues. Um, but we said that, people are like, you're crazy. You can't do that. Right. No one. No one has done that. The biggest number prior to that was the Junior Service League, like at 100000 which people thought those ladies were crazy, and they did it, and we did it, and we actually exceeded that goal, um, which was really pretty cool. So... Yeah, and we had all kinds. I think uh, built it in a week. Had thousands of volunteers down there. Thousand, as yeah. I recall, five thousand people came together, and yeah. the, the kids were out there. It was when I first met Troy. He was running the after-school program, I think. For the no, no. Department. When you first met Troy, you thought he was one of the kids in the oh, after-school program. That's true. Actually, he was about the same yeah. height. That's yes, true. If, it had, <laughs> if it hadn't been for the seven-day-old beard, <laughs> that's right. It would have been a dead giveaway. It would have been a dead giveaway. But um, yeah, he was there helping the kids. The kids were soaping the screws, and they, then they would give the screws to the parents who were drilling oh, them in. That's awesome. Thank God we had no liability insurance back then. Uh, yeah, no one mentioned liability yeah. and no one worried about it. Yeah. Look the other back way. In the old days. No one got seriously hurt. No, nothing, yeah. nothing too, too bad. But that, yeah, that I look back on that with such fond memories. And it was for, yeah. for me and Wendy, I think what it said, we had come from South Florida. We had both come from the Northeast before that. And what shocked me and really in a very good way was to understand how easy it is to get involved in this community and make good things happen. And ever since that time, it's been just part of our DNA. And when I knew you at that time, you were selling products that went to, to different vendors. One of them was soccer balls. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, I, and I remember you looking at me like, I'm not going to be in touch for a few days. Right. Email was in its infancy. Right. right? Al Gore hadn't worked out all the kinks of it yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're like... I might not be in touch for a while. If anything comes up, let me know. I'm like, where are you going? I'm going to Afghanistan. Or Pakistan, exactly. Or Pakistan, We're going to yeah, Pakistan. Even better. I was like, right. what? Yeah, yeah. To to have some soccer balls made. Um, yeah, we were at the 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 uh, the first my first real business long before the distillery was working with the like the gas station. So we would make the Hess toy trucks and the branded mm -hmm. soccer balls and the branded basketballs and. All those cool things, and uh, it was uh, it was a very different time then. But yeah, so. yeah, the Pakistani trip. I could be you could write a, I think several chapters in your life history on the Pakistan. I distinctly remember going over there, and we were driving from the airport out to where the quote unquote factory was. It was really more than a bunch of dirt huts and people. They're literally sending these kits out with nets 
uh, a rubber bladder and a thread and needles in these kits with 32 patches to make a soccer ball. And they would be in these like little grocery bags like you get yeah. from Publix. And there'd be like hundreds of them in these things. And they would send them out to the villages where uh -huh. people would put them together. And then a week later, they would come back and they'd all be inflated. And you see these, these giant you know, mules coming in literally with that. And that's it was literally cottage industry back in the day. But my point, Mike, is we're driving out to this factory and we're, it was about a three-hour drive from the airport. And I'm looking on these buildings and I'm going, what, what, what are those brown stars in those buildings? They said, oh, they're drying animal dung because that's going to be their heat source in the winter. <laughs> and I'm going... Oh boy, what have we done? And it was just, it was really an eye opener to yeah. kind of see, you know, third world, true third world conditions. It was pretty incredible. But all of those, I had so many great adventures, you know, that mm -hmm. I went to Pakistan, I think just one time. And then we started making production in Asia. But um, yeah, we had a lot of fun. One time it. was enough. What, well, it was enough. It was, it was enough. Yeah, I'm glad. It was enough. I remember I'm like, man, did you know that that place is kind of dangerous? You're like, yeah, but I got to go. You don't understand. About 30 miles. My, BP wanted my, me. My I had business the order. I had a PO. Exactly. I had I to feed my get kids. I this done. Exactly. It was like the, the epitome <laughs> of dedication. I'm like, okay. See, nothing changes. No. Um, but then you got into the distillery. Yeah. Um, started making bourbon. An honest living, in my opinion. <laughs> Certainly Something so much balls. better than corrupting children with soccer. No. <laughs> It's true. Those young kids, how can they do that? They're just how can children. you do that to these poor young children and corrupt them? Sports, really. The absolute degeneracy of soccer. I know, I know. <laughs> it's just, who would do that? I don't know. I'm so glad you reformed and started drinking. I'm so much. The, the Pakistan trip probably caused all that. It did. <laughs> like, I got to come up with a drink. There's got to be a better way. So how's the distillery doing? We're doing great. It's We're so, so thankful. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, to this community and everybody. I mean, this is truly a, just like Project Swing in a lot of ways, there's a lot of parallels to the company. Yeah. When we started the company, you know, we had no idea what it was going to be really be involved. It was a great idea. And, you know, we started needing more money. And I kind of reached out to, I think, 20 families in the community mm -hmm. and said, you want in? And I can't guarantee. In fact, you're probably going to lose it. So, you know, don't hold your breath. And yeah, you uh, lost me with you're probably going to lose it. Yeah. And it was 2009 and I was right. in construction. Yeah. It was like, I've already lost it, yeah. Philip. I kind of have any. So uh, I probably approached you as, of course I did. But we, you know, yeah. we, we got, you know, 20 wonderful families to step up. And, you know, my partner, Mike Diaz and, and I, we had a really, really wonderful first run. And it, it's been great. You know, we've, we've uh, worked really hard in the last 10 years to not only make the best spirits that we can, but. One of the things, having lived in St. Augustine, and you know this because you live it every day, but when you're here and you're a truly resident, you, you, one of your greatest joys is giving back. And mm -hmm. for me, the company has always been this intersection of trying to make a good business and make the best spirits we possibly can, but through some of the revenues from that to continue to invest in, in this community. And that's what we do. Well, this was such a neat place for me to grow up. And I realize a lot of people sacrifice to get that done. And there, you know, there are so many people, some of them aren't with us anymore, right? Uh, the Baileys, the Wiles, uh, the John Daniels. I mean, there's so many people. I, and I, you know, I'm Greg Baker, right? I'm leaving out so many um, that, that worked really hard to make St. Augustine an even better place than when I was a kid. And you just saw those people giving back and you thought, man, that, that's the way that this is supposed to be. And there's a lot of people that give back now. Um, 
you know, there's, I, I mean, we could start naming people like Mark Bailey and Alicia come to mind initially off the Absolutely. back because they're, they're always involved. I mean, if there's a fundraiser and they're not there, I'm shocked, yeah. right? I mean, they're just always involved. The Bozards are another yeah, one. They're always involved. Exactly. The Burkharts, when they had the yeah. distributorship. The Tringali family. The Tringali right, family. So. I mean, you just had yeah. all these people. Right now, Chris Shee is, is at the top of that yeah. list, right? Doing. I mean, we talked about money raised. It's amazing how much money uh, donating that barn uh, does every year. So yeah. yeah, so that's just part of it. There's some great people in here that are fully involved in that. So it's just really, really good. Um, you guys were the number one tour in the country at one time. Are you still the number one tour? We were, uh, in the last two years, we have been voted by USA Today, mm-hmm. uh, voters nationally, and we were recognized as the number one craft distillery tour in the United States in 22 and 23. So, so you're like the Alabama of distillery tours. You know, or Georgia now. Andy's watching. He's a Georgia I, fan. So I better I, throw Georgia in there, too. You know me in football, Andy so I'm going to have to say yes. I'll defer your knowledge because I'm too busy drinking <laughs> and making alcohol that, to know who's that right. American kids play. Well, there you go. Right. See, I just need <laughs> to bring so, that soccer I've been ball on soccer back. tonight. I've lost Don't all you the know soccer Messi, people. Messi, Messi, Messi. Just kidding. <laughs> all the uh, soccer people are shutting me down. <laughs> bam, done. Um, but no, we've been so lucky, and I completely attribute all of that success to our team. We have an amazing yeah. group of people who... Uh, provide that experience every single day. And, mm-hmm. and it's uh, between the guys who are making the spirits and people get to come in. I'm sure many folks listening have been there. And for those of you who have supported us, thank you. Um, yeah, but the, the visitors keep coming in and they remember and they vote. Well, Bobby says that he still has an empty bottle of your hand sanitizer. Remember, you're, everyone was doing whatever they could in 2020. Yep. And you guys were doing hand sanitizer. We were. And the hand sanitizer really um, came to be a, 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 it was a a wonderful windfall for us. And it also was an opportunity for us to once again, kind of give in and help. And uh, we made a bunch of it. We sold a bunch of it. We donated a ton of it, um, you know, to schools and firefighters and hospitals and everybody. And it was just such a wonderful thing. So yeah, it was a great chapter. Uh, back to that feel good thing, right? Yeah. Give them back, right? right? Here's something we have, we can do it's it. We needed, but so who came up with the tour? You were Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Wendy, you're creative, but your wife is really the creative genius in the family. She, you know, I have to credit. There's a lot of people who created the original look and feel. And it was, um, it was our, some of our earlier founding partners. It was Ryan Detra. It was, um, Patricia McLemore, who both kind of migrated over to the Ice Plant Bar and Restaurant, mm-hmm. so they run that. But my wife, Wendy, was very much involved. Terry Droz was really, mm-hmm. really instrumental because he did a lot of the build-out. Um, and then Mike and I, you know, kind of yeah. had a hand. So it was really calm. And the other guy would have been Dave Pickerel. Dave, who nobody knows, uh, Dave was the master distiller at Maker's Mark. Mm-hmm. And I worked with him, Mike, to be able to help us figure out, like, what should this experience look like? And we spent weeks in the Kentucky Big Bourbon Trail before the Urban mm-hmm. Bourbon Trail was built. Yeah. And we took elements from Makers and Woodford and and Jim Beam and Jack, and we tried to distill that, no pun intended, down to what we could fit inside of our 8,000 square feet. So, yeah. Were you like in there like um, corporate spies? You're like going through, you're like, oh, yeah. And and you see somebody walk through now and you go, they're from Makers Mark. They're here to try to steal our tour. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what I'm worried about. No. (laughs) But I have, we've had, and it's really wonderful. We've got so many people now, you know, distilleries that come through regularly you know who will you know ask hey can we take pictures and mm-hmm. you know, we share it's all you know shared knowledge and stuff and one of the things that's so cool about the industry particularly the guys from kentucky mm-hmm. is they are all so genuinely helpful you know when we call them we say hey we're having an issue here with this distillation they're like come on up we'll help you figure it out they they're so gracious and, and helpful but here. i was talking to barry browdy a couple of years ago about the bourbon world and the and the and alcohol distribution and all those things and 
And he made that comment where uh, there was a distiller that had lost some product. Mm-hmm. So all these other distilleries sent yeah. product to them, right? And let them put their product in their bottles, right? right? So you didn't know Raising what you, somebody else's yeah, kid, right? you didn't exactly. know what you were getting. You could have been getting stuff from you know from makers. You could have been yeah. getting it from Woodford. You could have been getting it from it matter. you know yeah, from right. the Buffalo Trace distiller, right? It didn't. No one knew, right? Right. But it was their way of helping out one of their buddies. That's exactly right. He said in California, if somebody had a problem. The other people were not helping. <laughs> it's like they're cut, celebrating. It, it's like seriously <laughs> cutthroat, right? There was um, Stag's Leap. Um, there's a great story about two um, vineyards that look at the rock where the stag made the leap from one boulder to the other right. and not down the crevice right. where all of them died. And they, they both wanted to be called Stag's Leap. And the lawsuit went on for like 20 years. And finally, the judge had had enough of right. it. He said, Neither one of you can trademark this rock that you both look at. So your stag sleep apostrophe S, your stag sleep S apostrophe, go away. Go away, right? I'm, 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 I'm done never with this. Heard that story. And, yeah, it was, it was hilarious. And so I, just the fact that you, and I told him, I said, I think that's a difference between a newer emerging market where sure. everybody was trying to fight for dominance. And then you have a market like um, Bourbon Distillery where there have been ups and downs and prohibition and not pro. I mean, this is probably one of the hottest times for bourbon. Right. For since, sure. I mean, yeah. since the end of the Civil War. Um, but I mean, it's just it, it, everybody wants American bourbon right now. It, it's, it's, a, it, it's, it's a huge it's a huge draw. The so. international market is just growing. And, you know, the amazing thing now, I'm sure we all have friends and know it, but it's like, you know, back in the day when kids, we were collecting baseball cards. Right. Yeah. Now you go into people's closets and like, let me show you my bourbon collection. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I'm like. I, my cousin who's an attorney down in, in, in Fort Lauderdale. I was like stunned when I went to his home and he kept going into closet after closet. And I have some more here and I got this bag of leaf and I got, I'm like, you're never going to drink all. Oh no, but it's great. And it's, it's, it's for fun. They do it. But, it, it is right. And I'm in trouble for that. So yeah. you bring this up. Right. So Darcy will tell me, don't bring any more bourbon home. Yeah. Until you empty some of the bourbon. Right. Here. Well, I, you know, I'm not going to drink what that much bourbon, right? So friends come over and stuff. I have several bottles in the car that are going to my son's tomorrow. Oh, no. Right, because I, ha- I had to clear out some stuff. So and you it's can't like, take these home, though. Oh, now so, I can oh, take those home. I have room now room to awesome. take those home. So I was like, I got room. Thank goodness I cleared out some of this stuff, right? And and I'm not going to name it, but there's certain, there's just certain things you're okay, I got, right? And there's other stuff now. And so I'm, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I got to make sure. And it started as one small cabinet. Right. right. It was way too small. I mean, in defense of the cabinet, right. it's a beautiful cabinet. Right. It's an amazing it's just, cabinet. Right. It's just not big enough. It's right? the best cabinet. It's just the best cabinet. So then it went to another high cabinet that wasn't used. And now it's another cabinet in the line. I mean, it's the new, the, if I get a new house one day, it's going to have a much bigger apartment. <laughs> it's much bigger. You know, the size of a small garage. There you go. Yeah. That's something it. like that. It, that's exactly right. You guys are going to be calling, hey, Mike, we got some extra product. Can we store it in your... Correct. Yes, you yeah, can. I won't drink great. it. I we'll won't sell it. We'll bring over the trailer. We'll Just bring, bring it, it over. over. Can you build a bourbon basement in Davis Shores? Uh, probably, yeah. <laughs> you can build anything. You just have to have money. Yeah. I don't know that I have that much money. I mean, you just have... Uh, people look at it all the time. Can we build it? Yeah. I mean, if you want to spend the money, we can how build it. you got the budget. Yes. How many zeros and how many Yes. Comments? If you would like to get rid of your fireplace on the first floor and keep it on the second and third floor, we can do that for you. Absolutely. Yes, we It'd can. It'd be our pleasure. 100% we'll be happy to do that. Correct. Um, so you brought two new... Um, Two new bourbons in. Yeah, you know. So we, what are you guys playing with now? What are you so doing? we're playing with a bunch of different things. What's on the table here? Actually, one is a, one of our first finished bourbons, and the other one is our latest finished bourbons. The finish, when I say finishing, what happens is in the in the in the world of bourbon and whiskey making, 
one of the current market trends is what they call secondary finishes, where you're going to take your first, you know, make bourbon. When you make bourbon, obviously, it's it's got to be the five elements. It has to be mm-hmm. made in the United States. It's got to be at least 51% corn. It has to be aged in a new charred oak vessel. And number three, it can't come off the still any higher than 160. It can't go into the barrel any higher than 125. And it can't go into the bottle any lower than 80. And if it meets all those criteria, it's bourbon. Okay. So what's so funny about yeah. this is this, <laughs> this all started with a guy with a bunch of guys with stills. Right. And I think it's with st- none of that stuff. In the woods. In the woods. <laughs> in the woods, exactly. But then I think it really started when they defined bourbon. I was reading one of the Bourbon Empire, one of the great, you know, books, and I so many of them out there now, but they had this gentleman had made whiskey during the, I guess, during the Second Second World War. They had made all this whiskey, and they wound up, um, obviously, the government shut all the air, the distilling plants down and made them produce alcohol fuel for fuel. So there yeah. was this, so when all the GIs came home from World War II, there was this absolute shortage of whiskey. And so they made light whiskey and all this stuff. So then when, I want to say it was the Korean War, somebody said, we're never going to be running again. So they turned the stills on 24 hours. They're making all yeah. this bourbon, all this bourbon. <laughs> expecting that they were going to get the call and they didn't. So then like eight years later, they're yeah. like, holy shit, we got to do something with this stuff. So they wound up doing this push to all of the international offices in Europe and they all the embassies. And they said, hey, this is American bourbon. It's a new thing. And they had a very strong lobbyist in D.C. and they created bourbon. And it was really, I think it was two things. I think it was the corn growers and I think it was the Coopers. And they said, we're going to define bourbon just like mm-hmm. tequila or cognac as a product that can only be made in the United States. And at that time, Literally 100% of it was being made in Kentucky. So um, it was really done to try and help this one business person kind of get out from all this aging inventory that they had. Well, and for me, it's you know, kind of one of the, the cool things is the, the rise were the, the, the big yep. other product initially. Sure. Um, and so you have a lot of rye bourbons. You have a lot of the the company, the, the weeded bourbons, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's really fun to try to, to some of those. Do you taste different ones? You really do get that. I sometimes don't get the hint of vanilla followed by peanut butter, but, you know, I'm not on that sensitive a palate, but it's just kind of, it's funny to read what's on the back of some oh, of the, that's, the, yeah. It really is. And the other big thing that's happening all over the country now is the single malts. I mean, American mm-hmm. single malt is now a real thing and they're trying to make it a category, uh, I think with the, uh, with the DB, with the uh, uh, DBPR here in, in Florida and then also in the, uh, the organization in, D- in D.C. that uh, that runs it all. But it's 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 an incredibly diverse industry. Yeah. So what defines a single malt? So single malt literally is a whiskey that is made with a single type of malt from that came from a particular grower. So you're not going to have a two grain and a four grain, all these different you okay. know, malts. It's going to be a single malt. Um, and so Colorado, for example, has a particular style of malt. Stranahan's, for anybody who's ever enjoyed that, it's a really great Colorado whiskey. It's actually one of the whiskeys that ultimately influenced the production of our product. Because I had gone out to Colorado, which is where we made our mash bill, and I really had fallen in love with that particular whiskey. It was great. I should have become a partner with you. I could have flown all over the country <laughs> yeah, tasting bourbon. Right. Darcy, I'm sorry. I have to go to Colorado this week. Sorry. Yeah, for work. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> what are you going to do in your house? I'm going to drink. It's just what we have to do as part of the job description. God, but anyway, I so back, missed out on that. Back to these guys, Michael. Yeah. So the one on the right, I think, this is the port. And so a secondary finish is you take your bourbon that's aged for three, four, five years, whatever you have. And then you take that juice when it's done, and then you're going to put it in another barrel. You're going to remove mm-hmm. it from the one barrel, put it in another barrel, and let it take on the characteristics of that second barrel. And that second barrel could have been made from Cabernet. It could be made from Port. It could be made from Sherry. It could be made from lots of different things. The one on the the one on the left, or the one on the left, as you're looking at the screen, is a Port finished bourbon. It was our first 
um, kind of ad- adventure in finishing. Um, Wendy and I had gone to Spain, actually, with John mm-hmm. Regan back in the day, and we were hoping to get these great cherry casts. We took a trip over there and had a wonderful experience. And John was like, great, I got the guy. He's got this big sherry factory over there. Great. We go over millions of sherry barrels. I'm wonderful. And this is going to be great. I'm so excited. And at the end of the meeting, I'm like, all right, how, how many can I order? And the guy looks at me, he goes, he's translating back and forth. I said, barrels, I want to buy them. And he goes, Oh, no puedo comprar. I said, what do you mean? He says, Diageo, which is like the largest whiskey company in the world. Yeah. They make all the scotch. And they had all those barrels under contract for like the next <laughs> 20 years. So I came back with like, oh shit, little guy loses again. Yeah. And I came back all bummed out and I was having lunch with my friend Charles Cox who owns San Sebastian. And I was explaining, he goes, you know, we make a pretty respectable port and we've been making it for a few years. It's won a mm-hmm. bunch of awards and we actually get our used bourbon barrels from Kentucky and Georgia and other places. Maybe we could you know, try yeah. barrel exchange. I'm like, hell yeah. So he gave me a couple of port barrels. We experimented and it was spectacular. Yep. So what we've now been doing for the past five years is we get new oak barrels from Kentucky. It comes in at St. Augustine. We make our bourbon. It sits for four years. Mm-hmm. We then empty those barrels and we immediately give them to Charles over at the winery two blocks away. He'll fill them with his port wine. It will sit for a full calendar year with his port wine, which then takes on the characteristics of the barrel and the whiskey. Mm-hmm. He, now that barrel is kind of infused and honey, honey coated, if you will, with the port. And then he gives me my barrels back a year later. And yeah. then I fill them for another six to eight months with our oldest, best barrels. And that's what's in that bottle. Okay. And it's spec, it's 102 proof. It's great. Cool. It'll be good tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool weather, whiskey drinking. So that's oh, tonight's going to sit on the back porch and have a drink tonight. Oh, there you go. We have waited a Except long time for this kind of weather again. Exactly. <laughs> months and months. I know. We're so ready. I know. Um, the other one is the toasted. Yeah. So the toast is, uh, again, yeah, there's all these trends that are happening in the bourbon world, but mm-hmm. um, toasting is the same process where you make your whiskey, your bourbon rather, it will sit for you know four years and you're taking it and instead of putting it in a barrel that had previously contained a dessert wine, a port, a sherry, whatever. There's some clever folks. Again, we're kind of fast followers in Kentucky. And what they did is they put it in a toasted barrel. Now, most barrels, when you think of a bourbon barrel, if you've ever seen the wood and you see the flames shooting up, yeah. the barrels getting charred. Well, that charring is basically burns the wood. It's like mm-hmm. putting a piece of wood in the fireplace and you see all that black char. Well, that having those openings and those pores allows the spirit to get deeper into the grain. In a toasted barrel, they don't actually let the wood catch fire. They just heat it up. So it's almost like a toasted marshmallow. You know when the marshmallow gets kind of brown and it doesn't quite catch on fire? That's what it's doing to those barrels. And what that's doing is it's bringing out a lot of the the caramels and the sweet notes of vanillins that are in the wood. And it brings them right to the surface. And then you put the whiskey in there. And in a matter of 8, 10, 12 days, it's just it picks it up and then you pull it out. So it's not going to sit in there for six months like this. Okay. It's only going to sit in there for maybe two weeks in our case. And Florida is very hot. Things happen here so much faster than in other parts of the country. So, so I've always wondered what the toasted was. Yep. Now the other, and I am probably dead wrong, but I, I think I read somewhere a long time ago that part of the reason, and this was before all of the kind of specifics of bourbon, right? Mm-hmm. Is the barrel was one of the most expensive things. It still is. And, and so, um, <laughs> they would get whatever barrel they could get. Yep. And a lot of the barrels had some type of food product or something oh, in them. So they charred the barrel to get rid of the taste of that, right? To, oh. And that's how the charring of the barrels. That's interesting. So, I, you know, somebody can, if Jim was here tonight, he would tell me whether I'm oh, right or wrong. Because an Amanda will fact check. But that was why, how I heard that started. The other thing I heard was that somebody had, they were moving bourbon from Kentucky, whiskey actually, from Kentucky to New Orleans. Yeah. 
right? So it would go down the river and they were, they would put them in barrels and a couple of the buildings caught fire. Mm-hmm. And so those, those things were toasted and they, they still made them into barrels. And when we sent them down, they go like, shit, this tastes this really, is really good. good. <laughs> and that's, so that's the other story about how that may have happened. It could have been the accidental, uh, the accidental. Right. So fire. all of your products, which one's your favorite? If you could have a favorite child. So you can answer this because the bourbon can't get mad at you. No, but they all will. I'll go back home. They'll (laughs) give me a dirty look. You know, a lot of it. They'll all be aligned a different way. A lot of it depends. We now, we have literally now six or seven different, you know, finished bourbon. So we have the Florida straight. Mm -hmm. We have the port. We have toast. But we now have, uh, we actually sold out, but we made a cognac finish. We were able to get mm-hmm. a half a dozen big, giant, you know, like 100-gallon barrels from France, and we filled those with cognac, and they were spectacular. And those are in that larger, you've seen, I should have brought yes. the same, the big, you know, juicy bottle, and those are higher end. These are in the, I think, 60 to $80 range, and the, whole, mm-hmm. the other ones are like north of 150 um, those are spectacular. I really like our Saint, and our Saint is the one yes. where the barrels are finished in the old-fashioned mix. Mm-hmm. It's a very complex process. So I think a lot of it just depends on the time of year. But I think all all in all, I I tend to have a sweeter palate. I'm kind of a, a wuss when it comes to whiskey drinking. I don't like like super high proof and all that yeah. stuff. It's just me, and there's no right or wrong, and everybody's palate is their own thing. But I like the Saint. Yeah, I, I'm more of a, a weeded bourbon kind of guy i lean towards that i don't um now and now having said that there are certain rye bourbons that i think are just absolutely phenomenal yeah they are and i'm like i never would have thought i liked that i and, love willet i mean yeah. there's so many great ones you know yeah. and try some of the american single malts too you might love but you gotta like scotch in order to, if you don't like scotch you don't like the flavor of scotch um then you probably won't like the single malt barry let me taste the scotch one time i think it's the most the northernmost distillery in scotland mm-hmm. and um it tasted like smoke. Yeah. They use peat somehow in the right. process. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like, okay, I don't like to smoke. And just a sip of this, I feel like I, I feel just like smoked. I just, I just yeah. smoked an entire carton of, of, of Marlboros. I was like, oh my gosh. Well, it's the peating. I and mean, that's yeah. how they dry, you know, the, the, the actual um, grains. You know, they, they use these peat bogs and they'll, they'll cut the grain, they'll harvest it, and they put them on these screens. And then underneath them, they'll actually light these bogs. And that smoke basically <laughs> gets, in gets into yeah. the malted barley. And then that's what goes into the still. So you're exactly right. You're, you're, t- you're drinking smoke. In yeah, I, it was great. I it's was intense. like, yes. Yeah, some some no, guy in Scotland could go, honey, I gave up smoking, but I picked up drinking <laughs> this stuff. <laughs> and boy, is it good. Boy, is it good. Have some beer. <laughs> so no, I think that's awesome. Uh, you're involved in a ton of other things. Um, apparently, um, in a huge mistake today, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Troy Blevins helped the TDC expand government. Oh, no, now, I'm just kidding. I don't know if you voted for it or not, but I the TDC has a new committee and you're, what yeah, is so I just today? found out a few hours ago, the Church Development Council, which met today, um, is in the process of trying to, um, basically review and hire a new ad agency. I mean, one of the mm-hmm. things that we do that helps um, you know, bring visitors to our destination. And that's Ponte Vedra, World Golf, St. Augustine Beach, St. Downtown. Um, we typically had an ad agency. The VCB has done that for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, the county has taken a different look to see if maybe there's a, a better way of doing that. And they've appointed a group. I don't know if everyone is going to serve, um, but the names that I've heard was myself. Uh, looks like it's going to be Gabe. Mm-hmm. In the amp, which will be very cool. Um, great, great young man. Kimberly Wilson, who is the former GM and brilliant, brilliant manager of the Castle Monica, the Kessler property. And then Todd Hickey, who is the GM for the Sawgrass Marriott. So I think you're going to have some folks with a, a pretty good, diverse range of marketing yeah. and advertising history. 
And I think I, I haven't been totally cued, but I believe our mission is going to be to help, you know, write a an RFP so that mm-hmm. we can go out and hire a great agency and then hopefully good things will happen from that. So what's what are what are the trends you're seeing within tourism? Right. So so is obviously twenty twenty kind of reset everything. Absolutely. twenty twenty one really reset everything. Yeah. Um, but where are we at now in 2023? So we had, I think we, and I'm talking to the distillery only, but I think I speak for most of the industry. The first five to six months of the year were strong. We were still coming off of that really, really big mm-hmm. push from 21, 22. There was just a, a lot of money in the economy. People were traveling. There was just, people were out and they were ready to go, you know, vacation, if you will. And I think somehow, and I don't know if it was the price of gas when it hit a certain height or after, I don't, I, whatever was going on, people started cutting back. And I want to say in June, in July, we saw a tremendous downturn. We were down 20 plus percent in terms of our visitors the year over year, which is a big deal. Um, so we're, we're all down a little bit right now. Yep. Um, we are starting. One of the things that we look at, Mike, is what's happening in the advanced bookings of hotels, because that mm-hmm. really will tell you that's the barometer for like if it's getting better, mm-hmm. stable or worse. Um, I'm hearing that November and December, the bookings are reasonably healthy, mm-hmm. um, where, as I said, July, August, and September were just pitiful. If it weren't for Sing Out Loud, I think a lot of the hotels in downtown would have really been hurting. Um, so anyway, so I think things are turning around a little bit, but we're, we're, we're suffering a little so bit. I don't have access to any of the information. Yep. I just anecdotally, yep. right? So driving home mm-hmm. uh, in the in the evenings uh, after doing this podcast and working, uh, September was after Labor Day, was a piece of cake. Yep. I mean, there were certain nights I was like, I'll just take both lanes. Yeah. I'll just Kramer this from Seinfeld. I got both <laughs> lanes. No one's going to say anything because there's nobody there's in the nobody other lanes. See. Correct. Right? Um, yeah. Sing Out Loud obviously was huge. Driving through town um, to come to work that Sunday morning at about 7.38 in the morning. And um, every single hotel that I went by on the island and downtown, the parking lot was full. Yeah. And so I think Sing Out Loud brought a lot of people into the community. Yep. Uh, yeah, we had to work around that weekend as residents, but I think that's a good thing for a lot of businesses. And so, you know, I was really happy yeah. to see it. You hate to see an event like that where you got to work around some it, and then it doesn't give you the economic impact. Right. It's an inconvenient. I, I think the thing that I, um, that one of the people don't, some of the folks may not necessarily, you know, appreciate, but I probably 95% of the people who came to Sing Out Loud had never been to St. Augustine before mm-hmm. because they're coming here to see that band, whether it was yeah. Munford or Black Keys or whoever was mm-hmm. playing. And as a result, when you come to this community and you start walking around, you go, wow, this is a really, really cool place. And so it's almost sampling, right? In a yeah. sense, you use it as a way to bring folks here. Now they may not come back again for a year, but I think they'll go home with a very, very positive you know, viewpoint and they're not going to turn around and come next weekend, but I do think that it, you know, is a is a good form of advertising and marketing. So I think it was a, you know, a very successful event. Um, you should, have, you, have you had a chance to have Gabe on to talk about it? I have not. We yeah. need to get Gabe yeah, on. He'd be amazing, especially since I've heard rumors about who may be coming next year, which I'm not allowed to say anything about, and I wouldn't say anything about. But I know we need to get Gabe in here off camera yeah. and just yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's going to be great. Uh, I think it was so fun i was you know there for both nights we were a sponsor of the event and i got a chance it was really wonderful to see uh, some of the county leadership mm-hmm. interacting with the city leadership in a social setting i know it seems crazy right the montagues and the capulets got there together at this event they did. <laughs> and it was just really really interesting the jets and the sharks they did so i'm giving uh, older references here amanda has no idea Pat what that's Fields, all about. west side story oh gosh go Sorry. ahead and show your boomer 
I'm a boomer, y'all. <laughs> I had my birthday on Friday. I'm officially a boomer. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, yeah, so it was just neat to see. And I think, you know, that particular festival did and will continue to require, you know, the mutual support of, of those two governments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice it when they work thing. together. Yeah, it is. I mean, real, it, it, as a business person, it really is. As a contractor, it's interesting at times because we'll sure. have uh, county building department, but city utilities, yep. and that that's kind of really interesting at the end of a project. Can't imagine because the county's like, "Hey, we need this form," and I'm like, "I called the city; they don't do that form." Well, we need this form. I said, "Well, you can call them and ask for it." <laughs> I said, hey, if, you, if I if you can't get it from them, I can't get. What do you want me to do? I'm not, I don't really want to be between, I don't want to be between King Kong and Godzilla. I do not want to be Tokyo. You guys just figure this out, right? I don't need the total scorched scorched earth policy. Be kind to the little guy. Be nice to me. I just finished this project. So yes, Hatfield and McCoy's Bobby is right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I did fact check you. Yes. So the practice of charring is attributed to Elijah Craig in the 18th century. He was a preacher and a distiller who found the best way to prepare old barrels for reuse for storing whiskey was to char the inside. Um, That is also... There's another story that it could date back to the 15th century from French cognac distillers. So it's unsure which one really started the practice of charring. So I was but somewhat right. You're yeah. at least partially, partially right. right. So in typical man fashion, I wasn't 100% wrong. You were close enough. <laughs> close enough. <laughs> Did that man is the Yes, guy. but if it had been a woman, if I had given that answer, so it all would have been at the very beginning. Of so, yes. <laughs> well done. Oh, no. Um, AMP board. So the AMP, you've been involved with the AMP and, and cultural issues for a long time. The AMP is is um, has grown up. Yep. Um, it has decided to leave home, St. John's County, so to speak, and it's now going out on its own. Yeah, that Comments? was, uh, you know, I, I think it's a great move. We, you know, we have watched that facility, that phenomenon that we know as the amphitheater mm-hmm. and the concert hall and Sing Out Loud and Fort Mose and all the amazing projects that that group of people have done we've seen it grow and continue to grow um you know and you look at some of the departure some of the folks that we had um you know part of that was just career change but i think also part of it was um just calling it out the sort of frustration and challenges Mm -hmm. that they had of running what is effectively a very competitive and what needs to be a very nimble business inside of government um and government is designed and intended to move slowly right they're spending our tax dollars we want to make sure that they proceed you know thoughtfully and and it's it's generally the, the uh, a good speed for government to take things slowly and it was very difficult for that team to do that and i think gabe uh you know was able to convey that and a, a number of people were and there's so many people who are involved in this transformation if you will from a government agency into a nonprofit. it's jerry wilson it was bo bozard it was dylan rumrell mm-hmm. um so many who? so many great yes mr snuffleupagus yes, mr snuffleupagus mr snuffleupagus um, everyone knows him but no yeah. one sees him i think <laughs> um, yeah um there was a lot of really really good people um who were um who were involved in that anyway. And the, the, the County kind of recognized it and they, you know, there's such a strong track record of the amphitheater, you know, you know, again, they, I think it's one of those entities that wants to be excellent at what they do. And they also want to, you know, do good things in the community. And uh, the County government was wise enough to help them, you know, 
great departure. So they're, I think they're all of like a month old or less than that. So that less than a month. Yeah. yeah, that's correct. No, but I, I, if you have ever listened to Troy Blevins stories on the radio or the podcast, which I've listened to a lot of, I'm sorry. Um, the, I, yeah, well, I got called Troy today. That was going to be one of our questions later. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's exactly. Yeah. Um, have you ever been called Troy Blevins? Have you ever been called <laughs> Troy Blevins? That's one of our questions. Yeah. Um, no. So, uh, you know, you'd have an artist that would, would have these crazy demands. Right. One of which wanted to be paid in cash. Oh, yeah. And the county doesn't story. pay cash, no. right? That's not how no. the, the county government, if you went up to them and said, we need you to pay cash. Yeah. It's $300,000. I need it yeah, in an yeah. envelope tonight. I need it in an envelope <laughs> in small right. unmarked small bills, right? right. <laughs> they, everybody at the county legal staff right. and the county department would all have a heart attack and be in. They would overwhelm the ICU at Flagler Hospital, right? It's exactly right. And, but there are these artists who have been out there on the road, they've been burned. And there's, I think I know the story that you're talking about. Uh-huh. And there was one artist in particular who's like, this is the way I get paid. And she was like, sorry, this is it. And if you don't do it, I'm not going on stage. I get my cash <laughs> exactly. before I go, before on, I go on stage. And the, and the <laughs> suitcase stays next to me Correct. while I'm right. on stage. <laughs> it's being held by Jim. Uh, and that, and that's, that's kind of the way. So yeah, there was, I mean, I think there were just a lot of issues. I mean, that's obviously an extreme example, but I think there were a lot of issues where, you know, vendors and artists, you know, expected to be, you know, paid in a certain period of time and all that kind of stuff. You know, 24 hours, 12 hours, and the county just generally doesn't do that. So I think this will be a really good thing for them. Um, and I'm confident, you know, Gabe and the team that he has there are so committed and they're so passionate. Um, and they've, you know, they're, they're just a great group of people. So I'm excited for them. Yeah. I, I think that's, it, it's an absolutely wonderful place for them. I think it, it, it'll free them up to do some things they need to do. It's a really good board. It's a bunch of people that are committed to the community. Correct. So I like that. Yep. Um, I know it's at one point in time, 10 years ago, they were thinking about putting it out for some national company. I cannot imagine how that, I mean, that's one of the, the cool things about St. Augustine. It still has a small town feel where you know who the people are in charge of most of the things that are important. Right. And when we lose that and some big national comes in, that's when you begin to lose the small town. That was part of the big argument. I think that, you know, the, the commission and they were all supportive of it, all five commissioners. And I think they understood that to have a live nation or an SMG or some giant multinational corporation come in and run it, um, it would all be about the dollar for them. And they would shift as much of the responsibility onto the taxpayer. And what I call the soul of what makes the amphitheater so special um, you know, would go away. And that would, would really be a, a terrible loss. Yes. No, I, I completely, yeah. I completely agree. So, um, As somebody who has I, to put up with the traffic and, the noise I, and all the other stuff. I mean, everybody, if you live in the city of St. Augustine, you, no matter where you live, you have some inconvenience based on what happens in the city, whether it's downtown traffic, yep. whether it's the nightlife downtown, whether it's the amphitheater on the, there's just, you just yep. deal with that, right? If it's the beach, it's every weekend when it's really warm. You're just, you're dealing, that's just part of what it's we deal the, with and you got to roll. It's the, it's part of the drawback to living in one of the most magical places we live in. If you can't really roll with it, you need to roll on out of town. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly what you need to do. We just need to let you roll that's on exactly out of town. right. Yeah. All right, Amanda, any questions? Um, I'm just sitting here Christmas shopping for my husband on your website. <laughs> There's, um, he's on a business trip driving, so I know he's not listening. There's a cigar flask on here. Here, I'll show you guys. Um, there's a cigar flask on here that looks very nice. If you like to have a cigar with your bourbon, which my husband does. Nice. Awesome. I also oh, like this you. glass down here where you have the ice mold in it Ooh. and the one with the cigar holder. So cool. I'm getting Christmas ideas on your website. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And those are all, all at 
They're all at store.staugustinedistillery.com. I'll drop the link in the comments. So I haven't looked at the store. Um, I, do you guys? So one of the things that I really like about bourbon glass, the really heavy bourbon glasses. Do you have any of those down there in the store? We have a couple. Um, okay. A lot. We one of the main things we focus on are the Glencairns, um, mm-hmm. which are kind of the more of a nosing glass, yeah. and then we have some heavy, beefy rocks glasses that have probably like three quarters of an inch of glass, and yep. then there's a thick thing, and I think they have the little kind of bubbles where some glasses sit flat, and these yeah. are actually raised a little bit. So. Okay. Um, I think off the top of my head, those are the two. And then, of course, we have all the larger ice molds, uh, which, uh, are, which are great. I'll be stopping by. Yeah, please come okay. up. I just really, I've I, I been looking for a while. Um, yeah. Probably three years ago, my brother bought, um, bought me four with uh, the initial on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one has survived. Ah. Yeah, so I'm hoping that, you know, that, that I can, can find more glasses <laughs> before I run out of those. So, yes. No, I would love to love to be able to help. And th- yeah. again, thanks for everybody in the community for supporting us. We, like I said, the, the, one of the things we're most excited about, we just built our sixth Habitat home in seven years um, awesome. this year. And it's all because of people who buy this. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're able to make those purchases, we can take some of those profits and roll them back into the community. We've worked a lot um, with uh, the folks at Habitat and they're just, they're fantastic people. Yeah. We really love that. Right, and there's an issue tomorrow at the county commission. I know yep. you're usually involved in almost all issues that are at the county commission. No, 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 no. <laughs> try not to be. Really, try not to be. Uh, some maybe some changes to the tree ordinance. Yeah, you know, and I, I look. We, you know, me. We we go back a long way. I am so committed to the community and trying to do the mm-hmm. right thing and building skate parks and building lots of things to help try and improve the quality of life here and in. Um, land conservation is critical. I think the, what they're taking up tomorrow, the, the, the conversation started back in March. Actually, Commissioner Dean mm-hmm. brought up the issue in Commissioner comments to say he had heard uh, some of his constituents um, saying, hey, we really need to start being more mindful about, you know, what's happening with development and clear cutting and, you know, tree, tree lot sizes and all that stuff. So they had asked the staff to come back and make a presentation. I want to say, Mike, in like August, they actually came back with a full-on presentation about what the tree codes were, the penalties, the fines, the tree banks. They spelled all that out. And then I think since that time, um, the commission has come up, and I, I think it was Commissioner Keating Joseph who may have led this. They've come up with a 14-point plan mm-hmm. of, of kind of the wish list of what they could do. And I think that's up for discussion tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think staff is going to be looking for direction from the county on like, what, what should we cut back on? Should we increase fines? Should we, you know, minimize or, or you know, add some more buffer space between development? I'm not sure what it is. The, my, the thing I'm probably going to speak to tomorrow, first of all, I want to thank the commission for taking this up. It's critical mm-hmm. because the quality of, of this, you know, these homes, these, the quality of our community is what brings people here and makes it such a great place to live. Um, and I know when you have trees on lots, it increases property value. I mean, those are all mm-hmm. good things. But on the other hand, I, I, I want to make sure you're going to laugh at me for being, you know, the, you know, my politics and stuff. And so try not to laugh too hard, but I really want to make sure that we don't overregulate this thing to the point. I know you're laughing inside where I don't we, know who yeah, you are. Yeah, exactly. Anymore. What have you done? Were you drinking Daniel? before you got I here? I was. There were three you, bottles. What have that's you, his job, Mike. Two. What have you done with <laughs> I Philip? I was sampling all day. But what Somewhere Les Thomas is shaking his head. And up and down in a good way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, one of the things I just, I'm going to just remind the commission, one of our biggest problems right now is having, 
you know, what I'm going to call mm-hmm. affordable workforce housing. Yep. We have people in the service industry, have people who are educators. We have people who are, um, you know, f- firefighters and public service people and so many folks who are the backbone of this community. And, you know, I think the current average medium home of a price in St. John's County is like, I heard a number recently, it's $520,000. It was some crazy. Oh, it, it, we don't have workforce. I've got uh, yeah. two young kids now yeah. uh, that live here um, that are going to have to battle through that. Um, housing was affordable when I came back in 88. Um, it was reasonably affordable, um, when my oldest son uh, bought his house in 19. Yep. It is not reasonably affordable since, uh, 2020. There are a few things that changed then. Um, but yeah, so it's very difficult. You're looking at these kids, you're looking at what those costs are, right? You're looking at the average mortgage payment, um, interest rates going up to, to, yeah, it's a 20 year high. But I mean, I, my first mortgage was uh, 10.95 and I thought I had stolen money from someone, right? I, so it's a perspective of, sure, of where it is. Sure. Money's been free for 20 plus years yep. and it's interest rates are going to have to go back up. Yep. Um, some of that, maybe you could control uh, some people in DC if they really wanted to, but I don't know that they want to. But anyway, um, yeah, the, the, the biggest thing for me is, is common sense tree ordinances. I know uh, I sit on the planning and zoning board in the city of St. Augustine. We struggle with that. Um, city is a very, uh, what I would call a punitive, right? Take one out, you have to put two back, regardless of how many trees are on the lot. Wow. So if you have 20 trees on a lot and you're trying to build a single family house and you fit it between the 20 trees and you take down one cedar tree, you have to plant two new ones. Well, where do you put it on the lot when you already have mature trees that are on? So for me, I want common sense in all of these rules and regulations. Yeah. Um, nobody really wants to, I mean, why well, I say nobody, most people don't want to cut the trees down, right? I, I tried to save a huge tree at the Vassallo Eye Institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, the engineers and the DOT required a three lane entry into that parking lot. Uh, one turn lane to the north, one turn lane to the south coming out and one entry lane, right? You could have made one exit lane and saved this huge 40 some inch uh, oak tree. Yeah. Everybody wanted to say, the county even said, okay, we'll let you do it if DOT agrees. DOT said, no, it's got to go. So you're, you're sometimes as, as builders and developers and owners, we're trying to do the, do right, the right thing, thing by trees. And they're yeah. like, no, you can't. Yeah. Um, I had another, the other story was uh, my great grandfather planted a pecan tree. We developed a commercial building on that lot. We wanted to take the tree down, right? It not because we wanted, it was old and it was, it was dying. It, it, it outlived its usefulness. The city, no, you can't do that. It's a protected tree. Six years later, one of the limbs fell and crushed an AC unit outside. Now, thank God that's all it hit and it didn't hurt anybody. Okay. I went down to the city. I said, okay, who's paying for the unit? Well, it's your AC unit. It's your tree. I said, it's really not my tree when you tell me I can't take my tree down. It's really <laughs> your tree, right? We had this nice conversation with David Bertram and I, and I got my point across, right? But it's like, you guys have to realize when somebody tells you, you got to take a tree down and you can't, and, and all the laws have changed. The state has preempted most of that stuff. but. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, I think there's some common sense things. I think one of the things that we all hate is to drive through a subdivision oh, and there's, clear cutting. and, and yeah. it's like a moonscape yeah, with houses. It's exactly the word that, it's exactly the word that. No one likes that. I mean, that's a horrible design and a horrible look, right? And it's terrible. So, yeah. So I think it's all about, I think the key is to find a middle ground and a balance. And the thing I just want to remind them, you know, speaking on behalf as one employer, you know, in this county that we're still trying to do everything we can to maintain some level of affordability for folks. And mm-hmm. if they can just be mindful going into this ordinance to make sure that they don't make it so punitive 
and therefore so expensive that now all of a sudden it takes this and adds another 10 or 15 percent um i just and they're, they're gonna they're gonna do the right thing it's a good board they're reasonable they'll work well together and they'll find it yeah I, I think there's easily there okay it is monday you have wandered yeah. into the studio on the worst part well not the worst you could be doing trivia yeah. Trivia yeah. Thursday is yeah. pretty rough, too. So we have five questions. We only have like nine minutes. We probably won't all get right. to all of them. So we'll roll some over for Davey tomorrow. But and I texted you some. Yeah, I know. I, I, I have to read texting. I, I don't think we're going to get to all of them. All okay. right, so best horse in the history of horses. So what horse do you think is the best horse in the history of horses? Man, I can tell you and speak from a mm-hmm. a personal be exterminator who was my great great uncle's. He was the winningest most horse uh, horse race. He's in the he's in the Hall of Fame up in, in yeah. there. He won the Kentucky Derby, um, and it was my great uncle who was the trainer. So I'm going to ask Ed Bias. His name is Exterminator. Okay, Exterminator. All right, Amanda. All right. My friend um, always dreamed of having a horse and she was gifted a horse when uh, we were in, I think, late middle school. And so I got to meet, I got to know him very well. So I'm going to say it was Blackjack because he was super sweet Mm -hmm. and I got to spend a lot of time with him. I cleaned up after him a lot because that was her deal. If, If we cleaned stalls, then she got to keep her horse there. They weren't rich people. But their daughter had a dream to learn to ride and to compete riding. And so her family made way. And that was bartering her efforts for his his room and board at the stable and for lessons. And so um, if I wanted to hang out with my friend, I had to go to the stables. And she's not just hanging out. So muck and stalls was the thing. And so it's going to be blackjack for me. All right. So I cheated. I want you guys to know this. Uh, there's one question every week that I send to my cousin, Mark. And this morning I was sitting there trying to come up with a question. He used to work uh, at the horse carriages down on the Bayfront from the time he was a teenager mm-hmm. until the time he was in his, in, his, in his 40s, right? So my question was, and I fully expected like multiple paragraphs. So I walked into his office like an hour later and he's mm-hmm. like, I'm writing it. I'm like, I can't wait, right? <laughs> so he, he came up with Sergeant Reckless. Okay. So Sergeant Reckless, uh, Staff Sergeant Reckless, a decorated war horse who held the official rank in the United States military, mm-hmm. was a Mongolian racehorse during the Korean War. Okay. Oh, I read the about this horse. stable boy that sold him needed money mm-hmm. for an artificial limb for his sister. Oh. Okay. So the horse goes into the army. It's used to transport uh, supplies to frontline troops. Mm-hmm. If you took the horse on a trail... After two or three times with a human, it would go on the trail by itself and come back. Mm -hmm. So in one battle, it made 51 solo trips to resupply the front lines, often bringing wounded soldiers back with it. So Sergeant Reckless, look it up. It's a new uh, bourbon. Uh, I know. You right guys, now. we might have to Sergeant Reckless. <laughs> right now. Yes, I the Sergeant it. Reckless bourbon. What I a great, it. I mean, it's just a phenomenal story. It's great. Of this, there's a lot more in that. I, I'm kind of skipping through that. So, all right. So this one's, um, let me pre, let me kind of give you the, we all get emails or text messages that are kind of a pain. We also get some that are inappropriate. This is not inappropriate in a, a bad way, okay. right? So I got an email today um, from someone asking me to take care of their sick mom. Now, obviously, they thought it was a different Mike Davis (laughs) that they were emailing to, right? They don't even live in this state. Right. And I read this poor email and I'm like, I just can't send back, you know, 
I'm not the Mike Davis, right? I, I had to put in there. <laughs> These are not the droids you're uh, looking the, for. I, 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 I took a second. The Mike Davis the droid. And I, I was like, I, you know, why are you texting me for? I couldn't do any of that stuff, right? So I said, look, I'm really sorry about your mom. I'm really sorry. I'm praying for you and your family. I'm going to take a minute and say a prayer. Uh, nice. But I really don't think. I'm the guy. Th- that you right. meant this yeah. for yeah. me. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I hope that everything works, works out. out. Yeah. So I don't know if you've gotten one of those. And you're like, <laughs> how do I react to this? What do I do next? Right. That That's a tough spot. Right. I mean, yeah. Because what do you do? Anything you say, it's going to be like you're callous and you don't love or you know, yeah. say yes. And you're really. So I have sent um, sent text messages to what was my brother's number. And. My brother no longer had that number. And for some reason, it was still saved under his name. I knew that his number had changed, but I guess it was just sending a text to both of the numbers. And so this random guy just starts texting me back, like super aggressive. And like, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't mean to. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Um, but I didn't realize the issue for a while. So this happened a couple of times. So the last time it happened, I was actually on a trip with my brother, but we were in different cars. And so I was like, hey, we had to stop by the store. We're getting dinner. Do you want to give me your order and I'll give you something? And this guy thought I was a cop. So obviously this dude's a drug dealer. So because he sends me back this, you're a fed. And I'm like, what? I'm like, what's your deal? Ian, I just want your dinner order. I'm not Ian and you know that you're trying to set me up this is this is entrapment you're a fed and i'm like okay dude this is a wrong number i'm really sorry like this is not but i have gotten a message one option (laughs) conspiracy theorist extraordinaire is another one yeah that is um so i have received a call from someone that was like I can't remember if it was the doctor's office trying to reach someone or um, someone trying to reach their doctor's office, but it was obviously like a personal and a serious situation. And so I called back the number and was like, you did not reach the person you thought you needed to. And this sounds important. So I just wanted you to know that so that you can get the right number. Yeah, I I had something similar. Somebody was sick and I can't which a friend of mine uh, has probably been two or three years ago. And uh, my phone and my computer took all of my contacts and threw them up in the air and like pickup sticks and put different phone yes. numbers. And di- right. it, yeah, yeah. it's like, wait a minute, I know that's not Phil McDaniel's number. And then I would, you know, so this case, it was somebody I hadn't talked to in a while. I just want to, hey, I hope you're okay. Blah, blah, blah. And I sent a text. I get a text back almost immediately. Right. And, and this is, I think, what gave me the ability to do this. This person said, I'm not your friend. Right. Really sorry about your friend. I'll be praying for it. And I'm like, right. wow. I, I texted about. I said, Thank you for being so Such nice and understanding person. about this. And, I, you know, I'm sorry I bothered you, but you really kind of made my day with being Your nice. Kindness, and I thought, right. so I think that's where that today, when that came out, I was like, oh, you. I got to pay this forward. There you this go. This text all these years ago, now's my opportunity to kind of do that. Do so, it right. There you go. Yeah, and I think some people just get, you know, a little too upset over, how did you do this? Where did you get my number from, right? I mean, yeah. so just slow down a little bit. I had a situation, Michael Lugo, who's a dear friend, who just opening mm-hmm. up this amazing new restaurant, Pesca, over on Volano. If you, yeah. if you haven't a chance, you absolutely need to go over. It's going to be incredible. Um, and I was texting him a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I had his number, and Michael popped it over, and this person writes back, Millie, you keep texting me and the wrong guy. I'm like, what? So then I forget. And then, anyway, it turned out, so I had his wife, Stephanie's number. I said, Stephanie. I think I got, she said, oh, Michael's phone was hacked and somebody stole uh, his identity. Oh, wow. And this is his new number. Stay away from the old number and stuff. But it was like a really vicious, like just lots of negatives coming my way. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. And I had to figure out what the situation, but I get very nervous when you have like, 
you've got your Google and your Apple mail in it, and they're all kind of talking to one another. Yeah. And you don't know if like you're actually oh, no. texting the right yeah. person. It can be. No, sometimes it takes your stuff and it's like, no, no, no I, this is how it should be. Well, right. no, AI, you're not that smart. Yeah. This yeah. is not how it should it's be. It's coming. Right. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So we got about a minute. Yeah. Uh, go down to the distillery, go online and go shopping. Mm-hmm. Amanda's already bought things. Yes. I saw the credit card That's out right. during the show. It's right. awkward. Burning <laughs> it up. Made our day. Thank you, Amanda. Uh, no, no, no. Louis will be very, very happy. Yeah. And it's <laughs> always good to see you, my friend. Michael. Come back. Um, after you. they do the, the, the uh, consortium, we a little farther in the church, come back, sure. talk a little bit about that. Yep. Um, if you got some stuff going on at the holidays, uh, to, yeah. come back and let us know what's going on at the holidays, Nights of Light stuff for people to come Absolutely, by. Absolutely. Yeah, you. for sure. No, we've got a bunch of stuff coming up for the holidays. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's always great to yep. see you. Thank you. Awesome. And thank you for the bourbon. Enjoy every drop. Thank I, you. I, I am responsibly. I'm going to responsibly on my back porch where it's going to be beautiful. Please tell Darcy that. I'm sorry. If I, if I <laughs> Listen, she knows what my friends are like. <laughs> All right. This is the Mike Davis show. Philip, Amanda, thank you guys. We'll be back tomorrow with Davey. And we're probably going to talk about, you know who, the woman that made Travis Kelsey. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, y'all.